back in the, the midst of time, my first proper job was teaching in a girls' school. And one of the things that I did was I set up a cricket team, which was quite interesting and entertaining, particularly when you came to the new, cohort, new cohorts who would come in and try and teach them how to hold a cricket bat, which is quite a complicated thing. So you, I did what I thought was quite a simple drill with them as to how you pick it up and hold it in the right way so you don't leave a gaping gap for the ball to go through and hit your wickets. And it's intriguing how some people did it up naturally, no problems, others worked at it, and others you would keep going over it again and again in the hope that one day they might actually get about somewhere close to a, a good place to fend off the opposition bowlers. We all respond to things at different paces, I suppose. Some things we pick up, other things we struggle with. So when we're talking about prayer, we have to acknowledge that we're not all at the same point. Some of us may be great natural prayers, other of us may find it a real struggle. So really what we're hoping to do here, I think, is to allow conversation, to give you the opportunity to go up to each other and ask others how they cope, how they deal with these things, what works for them in the hope of finding something that enables all of us to build our prayer lives. To add to what we are already doing in the hope of that prayer life taking off and enriching us and enriching the church. To recognise that we each have a story to tell. Whether it's a story of apparent success or a story of apparent struggle, they're stories that we need to share. So I want to really today to think about how we might enable ourselves and to focus on three things. Firstly, to focus on space. I have one friend whose morning devotions are spent sat on a log in a wood, in the midst of taking his dog for a walk. That's the place where he finds it easiest to pray. I have another friend whose morning devotions are 15 minutes after breakfast, sat in silence. I have another friend who says that the hardest thing that she has to do is sit and pray by herself. She's fine if there are other people there. It's not a problem. The words can flow either in her mind or out of her mouth. But sit her down at home by herself and it's a phenomenal struggle. All good Christian people, all in a sense trying to engage with God, some finding ways and others finding struggle. The key thing, I think, is to try and create some space in the midst of our routines where we purposefully try and encounter God. And to accept that we may find the need to take some time to find a pattern that really works for us. So if I tell you what it works for me, I don't presume to think that will work for you. I think, I think the two best things you can do to try and encourage prayer are to read your Bible or to read your hymn book. 
My morning routine is to use this, it's quite a thick book, but don't worry about that. This book, which is a, a Celtic prayer book, it has a very simple little order for morning prayer that I use every day. Not many words in it. Some scriptures to read, a passage to think about, and then space that I can expand or contract depending upon what's happening in the day to pause before God, to remember those who are in need and to listen for what God has to say to me. That works for me. You you will need to find what works best for you. But there is real importance in committing ourselves to trying to carve out this sacred space in the midst of our routines. To be purposeful about this rather than running the risk of it being shut out by the demands that life plays upon us. To offer ourselves some focus. To find a place, wherever that may be, where we can purposefully try to encounter God in word, in silence, in thought. That's not to say God won't encounter us in other places, but there is real importance in trying to find some space. So that in that space, we can focus on what the longing of our hearts are when we talk to God. And to ask ourselves the question whether we are concerned about the now or whether our focus is on the future. Are our prayers self-centred, looking into what will make our life better, or are they looking, in a sense, to what will make the life of the church and the life of individuals better than they are at present? There's a church not too far away from here that was facing closure. A little tiny village, a handful of people coming, and they were facing the real prospect of having to close their doors because it didn't look like they could continue because they were all getting old, all lacking energy. And these five people decided the thing to do was to pray, hopefully, like they'd never prayed before. All five of them have passed on to their eternal reward. But the church is now going strong. And the people who are part of the church look to the commitment of this little bunch of elderly people who invited God to come into their desperate situation and change things. The resulting church is very different to what they were used to. But while they were still alive, they delighted that there were new people coming in. Lives being transformed. People won for Christ because they dared to have that focus that wasn't just about them, but was about God's continuing mission.
that focus needs to have that element of your will be done in it. But where is our space? Where is our intentional involvement with God? Looking to the future, hoping, longing for things to change. Not necessarily radically, but to be different. So we need to focus on space. Then secondly, we need to focus on application. Just think of this. The playgroup, the coffee shop, the toddler's group, the, the lunch uh, gathering, the street changers, the well-being cafe, uh, the alpha groups, the pilgrim groups, messy church, the Sunday crew, the choir, midweek communion, Sunday morning worship are all examples of places where we actively pray. Not huddled in a ball with our eyes together and our hands, sorry, our hands together and our eyes closed. But they are places where we live out something of the life of prayer. We talked last time about prayer is a mindset. It's the way that we live. And here, there are lots of examples of what we are doing prayerfully. And the challenge to us is to think how we can enhance that, make it yet more prayerful as we respond to the world around us, as we respond to the needs of our community here. Part of this walking prayerfully is asking how we can look out and beyond. How we respond to the needs of our community and the needs of the wider community. So that for every one of those things that I've listed, we could almost invite ourselves to sit down and think how we can tweak it, how we can change it, so that in a way it looks out and hopefully therefore enables a greater engagement with the world. And part of that, I suppose, is thinking about how we respond to others. We were sitting looking at the cathedral in Malaga in, in a, a taverna, I suppose is the word in Spanish, and the waiter came from behind us, and before we knew what was happening, this gruff voice said to us, what do you want? The temptation was to get up and walk away, but we, we allowed him the fact his English wasn't perhaps his best language, but it didn't really make you feel that you wanted to sit there because the way this person had come, probably full of good intentions, but hadn't made us feel particularly comfortable. How do we respond to people? You know, I'm always interested when you're standing in a shop queuing, or standing in an airport queuing, and how people respond to those who are working there. Whether they bid them a cheery good morning, or whether they treat them as some functionary with no attempt to engage in conversation, the only desire in a sense to, to get through the process, and if it goes wrong, to blame the person who stood there in front of them. How do we come alongside how do we give people value and worth? The passage that Judy read 
is a beautiful illustration of love in action. If you go back and read through it, you will see lots of ways in which we can be encouraged to reach out and touch. And this, to my mind, is as prayerful as the prayers that we might say when we are sat in silence. It's almost like we need to find a new language of blessing so that we can share something of that with those whom we encounter. How do we allow others to be valued? And I suppose how we share loved here. You know, um, Louise and mine is a mixed marriage. Uh, when her family get together, there is so much hugging and kissing and talking before you leave. You've got to leave three quarters of an hour to allow yourself to depart. My family, it's bye then, see you next time. Hers take this inordinate amount of time to be able to say goodbye. And if they're all there, well, you need to take your sandwiches for the ensuing experience. How do we respond to each other? Should the greeting at the door be a handshake or a hug? When we meet in the street, are there ways in which we can greet one another that are different to what the world does? I was sitting with the, the house group in Bradley and we were discussing my normal parting phrase of be good, which you will have heard me say, I'm sure, and discussing whether that's the right thing to say. And we, we talked about it, and they said, one of the things you could say is go and live abundantly. That sounds much better. Go and live abundantly. Not quite sure what the people on the high street might think about that. But it's a simple thing about how we greet and how we take leave and how we can make that prayerful. Should we be saying, God bless you if we depart, rather than cheerio? How can we make all of this more prayerful, more centred on the God whom we worship? Because we know that to pray for someone is a great act of love. How do we show that when we meet them and when we take our leave? I shall wait and see how many hugs I might get, how many handshakes and how many curious looks when you come to leave church this morning. And then finally, and I think most importantly, to go back a bit to where we were a fortnight ago, there is a focus necessary on listening and looking. I'm reading a book on the history of the Crusades. And as you probably know, the Crusades is not a, a splendid time either for Christianity or for Islam, when there was so much slaughter and barbarity waged over what we call the Holy Land. It's not a particularly good episode in our history. But it reminds us that throughout Christian history, there have been lots of disasters. The Thirty Years' War in the 17th century was Protestants and Catholics fighting over the mainland Europe. We come into the last century and in America with the civil rights movement or, or in this country with the arrival of the Windrush generation, the church struggled to accommodate people whose skin was of a different colour. 
the church can go seriously wrong when we take our eye off the game. And that demands of us a willingness to look for signs of God at work and a willingness to listen out for his wisdom. When did you last feel God's presence? When did you last think God was speaking directly to you? When did you last have your breath taken away by the impulse of the divine? They're big and important questions. When we come in a little while to share this feast of Holy Communion and you're given your piece of bread and served your little symbol of wine, will God be allowed to intrude into those moments? Because if you think about it, when we look out into the world, we should be saying to ourselves, this is God's creation. When we look at our neighbours, we should be saying, here is God's child. When we come into the church, we should be reminding ourselves that here is a place set apart for the worship of our God. Here is somewhere where something exciting should take place every time that we gather. That everywhere is a place of possible encounter. And when it comes together, it can be beautiful. Some of you will have counted uh, John, who was one of the homeless people who used to frequent the coffee shop. And he's been on a bit of a ride. He's had a, a very rough past that I won't bore you with. But he started coming to Trinity on a Sunday evening. And two weeks ago, it was communion in the evening. And this guy, who not long ago had been out on the streets, who's received much kindness from this church and various other churches, came forward for communion hands out and part of you thinks should I give him the elements does he really know what it's all about but I, I put that to one side and I put the bread in his hand and a smile came to his face his eyes were closed he didn't know I was watching him a smile came to his face and it was stunningly beautiful and I stood there thinking, here is where prayer works. In the kindness people have shown, in the support they have given, in the wisdom they have offered, that have brought this man to this point where that little piece of bread has meaning. And it shows the way in which love can transform, the way in which prayer, both spoken and lived out, 
can transform as well. Here was someone looking for something different and he found it, surrounded by prayer. It was a victory for transformation. Now, he, he may go back, he may regress, he may go off the right path. I, I don't know what's going to happen. But in that moment, there was great and wondrous beauty. God was at work. So my encouragement is to make yourself space to pray and to pray for the future more than we pray for the present. To recognise that the application of prayer is there in lots of what we already do. But how can we do it more? And how can we as a community speak a language of blessing in the hope that we're all listening and looking for God and daring to name his activity, that we become a community that are longing for light. For when the light shines, evil is exposed and good triumphs. And our prayer as a community has to be that we can become more prayerful and so allow our light to shine in this place, in this town, and in this world. Amen.